Hello everyone and welcome to the 10th episode of Encrypted. In this fintech special, I have a stellar lineup of guests present at the Fintech Abu Dhabi conference. Hear what Kraken and Securency have to say about Abu Dhabi as a crypto hub, as well as an interesting discussion revolving around institutional capital meeting crypto. I also engage in a one-to-one interview with Richard Tan, the CEO of the Financial Services Regulatory Authority at the Abu Dhabi Global Markets. Hello everyone, and we are here in Fintech Abu Dhabi in Fairmont Hotel and Bab al-Bahar. And today I have the pleasure to be joined by um, Mr. Richard Tung. Say hello. Hello everyone. How are you doing? I'm good. It's a fantastic event. We have fantastic energy today. Yeah, well, it looks now, now we're at the end of the day, you look a bit, <laughs> you look a bit tired, but you <laughs> still have a lot of two days. Yesterday we had boot camp day and today we have a lined up of exciting speakers and uh, plenty of announcements that we have made. So it is a good day. Awesome. Glad to hear. So for those of you who are unaware, could you please introduce yourself? Hi, I'm Richard Teng, CEO of Financial Services Regulatory Authority at Abu Dhabi Global Markets. That's a really long title. <laughs> what, what is the the basis of the ADGM. What do you guys do? Sure, so ADGM is a very new international financial center. We are set up in October 2015, so we have less than three years in existence or in operations. But in the last three years, we have transformed how financial services are conducted in the region. So by now, we have more than a thousand registered entities. Uh, the likes of Citibank, State Street, Unicredit, BNP Paribas. So all these systemically important institutions globally have established an ADGM, hub in ADGM, to serve a fast-growing region. I think what set us apart are two things. First, other than being a regulator that really introduced best-in-class rules and regulations for the benefit of this region to try to anchor much more economic activities and financial services activities in this region, we are also ecosystem developer. So we look at what is needed for the region uh, to have financial services, economic activities being re-anchored back into UAE, into the MENA region. So just let me give you an example. We are not the first one to introduce Real Estate Investment Trust. It has been introduced about eight, nine years ago in the region. But it has never really taken off because when people just look at rules and regulation, there's only one part of the equation. What we have really done is to examine what else is needed within the ecosystem to support real estate investment trust for the region. Because it's a great product class uh, for both the property developer, it allows them to recycle their capital usage. It's a great product class for investors. It allows them to get real estate, real estate exposure at very low cost instead of buying a very lumpy property that requires a huge outlay. And it stabilizes the property market over time. But when we re-examine, we found things that's lacking, we reintroduce it uh, for the market. And by now, within less than three years, we are the largest real estate investment trust hub for the region. So that demonstrates how we work very differently. When we first tried to roll out fintech into this region, nobody, very few people have, have heard of fintech. Yeah, could you explain uh, that for, for those who haven't heard of it? So financial technology really will transform the financial services sector will transform the economy. McKinsey has estimated that embracing digital finance for emerging economy will add another 3.7 trillion to the GDP of these economies, adding 95 million new jobs for this economy. A lot of old business model, old economy jobs will go away. Right? So if you look at a lot of uh, 
be it in terms of traditional financial services, traditional economy, those will be impacted. But new jobs will be created in AI, in blockchain, in cloud, in machine learning, in, in robot advisory. So the new areas will be coming through and need much more expertise. Uh, and those will create much new jobs for the economy. So when we first roll out fintech, no, very few have heard of fintech, and people were highly skeptical of what we are trying to do and our efforts. But by now, I think we have proven ourselves. We are the top fintech hub for the region. The regulatory sandbox that we roll out is now the second most active regulatory sandbox globally. What is after, this regulatory sandbox? After London, um, this regulatory sandbox allows firms that wish to partake in the financial services sector, they have products and services to test. They are given up to two years within our sandbox to test it. We have a few criteria before we allow them into our sandbox. Uh, they must be truly innovative. They must be able to use it for the region. They must be licensable subsequently. And there must be test parameters. There must be real test cases and prototype that they are trying to test. So we have more than 70 applications globally into our sandbox. We accepted 26 so far into our sandbox. And they are really cutting edge innovative solutions in the various areas. Mm -hmm. So in blockchain, in exchange space, in AI, in regulatory technology, in cloud, in uh, machine learning, for instance. So we're really proud. We are the second most active globally after London. We are the most active in the region. Uh, and we are voted the top fintech hub for all the things that we're doing. So that's great to hear. And I feel that the, the, the aspect that these firms, um, which could be startups, could be financial institutions, they, the reason why they're in the sandbox is because they're using technology, well, new, new technologies like I said, AI or blockchain um, and many more, to provide different services that don't fit under the current regulatory rule set. And so that, this will allow them to sort of play around, um, you know, and, and kind of provide that test for them to actually see what they can do. It allows um, them to fine-tune whatever mm -hmm. they wish to first roll out. Secondly, it allows them to test whether their product classes mm -hmm. are suitable for the clientele they are trying to target. So f regulatory sandbox is for the purpose, we set it up for the purpose of helping the fintech firms to bring about adoption. But when we look at the entire ecosystem, we look at how to nurture new startups, so on that front, we work with the likes of DED, yeah? uh, New York University, INSEAD, Saja Entrepreneurship Center, to bring about the new batch of fintech entrepreneurs, the startups. We work on acceleration. So we have appointed Plug and Play, which is the largest Silicon Valley-based accelerator in the world, to help firms grow quickly from a very early seed stage uh, as they continue in their journey. So Plug and Play has a lot of success globally. Other than being the largest acceleration firm, they are the one of the largest venture cap investor globally. So they have invested, they are early investors in Google and yeah. PayPal, right? Those are the huge success story. So they have an eye for success and they are working with us in terms of accelerating firms, investing into firms. The regulatory laboratory I talked about is really helping firms to adopt in terms of bringing them into the marketplace. But other than that, we're working on, on many other initiatives at the same time to make sure that we help firms scale up, we help firms go overseas. So not only in our sandbox, not only in our, taking our license, 
but by now we have 14 fintech MOUs globally from Singapore to Australia to Canada to France uh, to Kenya really helping our fintech firms expand overseas having great access to marketplace good access to capital uh, great access to regulatory recognition so we are doing quite a number of things today we have announced a few things the first is building of a digital sandbox I think that allows for open collaboration between financial institutions, fintech innovators, government, regulators to explore, to test, to really bring about faster adoption of fintech solutions. We are doing it not only for the Middle East, North Africa region. We are linking up with Singapore that is doing a similar project for the Southeast Asia market. And by linking both sandboxes, both digital sandboxes, you make for a much bigger marketplace for fintech innovators for fintech innovators to deploy their solutions. It allows for much bigger marketplace for financial institutions to come in and source for solutions. So does that mean, for, um, for example, if I, I'm in the Abu Dhabi Reg Lab and I deploy a solution, that means um, people in Sing Singapore could also use that? It's not only people in Singapore, people in Southeast Asia. Oh, Southeast Asia. Southeast okay. Asia countries. So that is the idea. And so we are linking two economic blocks, the Middle East, North Africa block, in which will be a key part and the Southeast Asia block which Singapore is bringing in. So connecting the two markets making it much quicker. One of the challenges that financial institutions face when they try to adopt fintech solution is legacy system. So what our digital sandbox will have is enabling APIs that allow for legacy system to connect quite easily to new fintech solutions in a low-cost scalable manner we have synthetic data that's hosted on a secure cloud environment. So we're excited with that. We're also working with the Hong Kong Monetary Authority and Singapore Monetary Authority on building a blockchain-based trade financing, trade documentation system to really facilitate and support global trade. Uh, that's something that we're excited. So we are working on different things, uh, be it at the institutional level, uh, the startup level in terms of trying to make sure that we have a conducive ecosystem funding system for fintechs to continue to grow. We have introduced a private financing platform last week and that's to close the commercial funding gap that most of the startup face between the very early seed round until they become unicorn, hopefully, uh, for IPOs. Great to hear that. That is, that is a lot of initiatives for for a very new regulatory financial free trade zone that was just established three years ago and to and to focus a bit more now on let's say the the blockchain and cryptocurrency scene how have um, the adgm uh, positioned themselves and how have um, you guys um, actually gone about into allowing these different marketplaces these different companies to come into the adgm would they have to go into the reg lab or is there something else that no. you guys No, so want? last year we issued our guidance on ICOs. Mm -hmm. uh, we allow for security-based ICOs to be issued. So we have firms coming to us either issuing security-based ICO or ETFs. That's based on this. Uh, this year, we have issued our regulatory framework governing the crypto spot exchanges as well as intermediaries and custodians. That was issued on 25th of June this year, so slightly less than three months back. We have gotten very robust interest globally and regionally. Our framework is the first comprehensive framework globally that we roll out to address risks in the various areas that crypto exchanges bring to the marketplace. 
So it addresses risk of financial crime, money laundering, exchange operations, custody, technology governance, investor protection. It is important and critical for us to address all those risks. Because if you don't, this asset class will remain only in the hands of retail professional investors. Institutionals will not invest into that space. And institutional are a key component of any market. If they don't invest, take position in that space, you're going to see a lot of price volatility in any of those markets without institutional investors. So the response we have gotten is heartening, shows that we're on the right track. We have shared our framework quite readily with the regulators in the US, UK, Japan, Hong Kong, Singapore, uh, as well as supranational agencies uh, such as IMF, World Bank, uh, of what we are trying to do. So we've gotten very good response all around. Uh, it's very comprehensive, unlike many other frameworks that treat cryptocurrency exchanges as money services provider, which is wholly inadequate. Because if you look at every time coins get lost, coins get stolen, it's because custody risk has not been managed properly. Technology governance risk has not, has not been managed properly. And when those instances happen, you impact the confidence, you impact the pricing of cryptocurrencies. So you need a safe environment, you need a highly trusted environment with high standards to make sure that going forward, people are confident about investing in cryptos as asset class. Absolutely agree with that. And so you, you've mentioned there's the ICO guideline, you mentioned about the, cus, the custodian guidelines. I think you guys also um, released something regarding exchanges in the past couple of months. Yeah, so the exchanges is part of that guideline on, that okay. we issued on 25th June, uh, which is why we need to regulate the exchanges and the exchanges need to address all these risks before we can allow any exchange to operate in Asia. And are you, how are you balancing, you know, imposing really sort of tough regulations um, as well as allowing innovation to flourish? Because we're, we're seeing at this like moment, um, even looking back at the guidelines, it would seem they would be um, more um, suitable for the bigger exchanges as opposed to, let's say, the, um, you know, somebody who, who just started out a bit more recently. For the crypto asset space, it in itself is already a key innovation. So we are helping to support that innovation. But while we are helping to support that innovation, we want it to grow in a healthy, sustainable fashion. And that means that we need to address all the key risks. If we don't, if a major episode happens, say 50, 100 million coins get stolen, it will impact the integrity of the market. It will impact the confidence of the market. And that is even worse off. So we are the, the crypto asset framework that we put in place will not cater to everyone. You will cater to crypto asset players that wants to grow their business in a responsible, sustainable way that addresses the risks that will help institutions partake in that space. Uh, because if you don't do that, over time, people will lose confidence in this asset class and they'll go away. And that's worse off for everyone. And how was the the reaction from the institutional investors um when you actually gave that guidelines um have they sort of said okay can you keep us in the loop about what's going on no the um, institutional investors are extremely supportive when they look at the guideline they say this is something that we need okay in order for us to even you know partake into this space take positions become custody providers in this space so they're extremely supportive they're extremely excited with what we have done 
so we are working with institutions across the world on this framework. Great to hear. And how about family offices within this region? So if we were to look a bit more into sort of the traditional capital and the traditional institutional um, money, how, do you, how long do you think before that money will actually get into this new asset class? I, I can't speculate on that front, mm. but I do think that in terms of deployment of money, the family offices are very smart about how they do it. So other than traditional asset classes, they are also looking at alternative asset classes. They are also looking at fintech investments. So it's not only the family offices, but the sovereign wealth funds, the, the other fund managers are also looking at how do they have a piece of the pie of the exciting fintech space. So we are building an ecosystem on that front. We have SoftBank that have established an ADGM investing heavily into the technology fintech space. We have uh, McKinley Capital, we have Mubadala Ventures that is looking to gear up their investment into this space. So it's an exciting funding ecosystem that we have in place in ADGM. Yeah, great to hear. Um, and just one, one final question. Um, if people wanted to get in touch with you, how could they contact you? Well, we have our contact details on the website www.adgm.com. Please feel free to to contact us via the details set on the website. Awesome. Thank you very much, Thank Richard. You. Thank you for having me. And now I have a really interesting discussion with Austin Alexandra from Kraken and Dan Donny from Securency. Hello, everyone. Today I am extremely excited to be joined by two special guests. Um, I have Austin Alexandra from Kraken and Dan Donny from Securency. Say hello. 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 Awesome. Um, do you want to quickly introduce yourself first, um, Austin? Sure. My name is Austin Alexander. I'm with the Kraken Cryptocurrency Exchange. Uh, I've been around since uh, 2011. Actively, uh, the market's been active since 2013. We're uh, the leading market for Euro crypto pairs and one of the uh, largest exchanges by uh, volume and even more so by real liquidity. <laughs> we'll get into that a bit later. <laughs> yeah. I'm Dan Doney, the CEO of Securency. We offer decentralized investment banking services. And with these services, we're able to issue securities tokens. Our specialty is our compliance aware token that actually allows you to bake in complex securities laws uh, internationally into the tokens. Make sure the tokens only ever go where they're allowed to go. Okay, sounds um, something that's not very dodgy, right? Uh, in fact, it's the opposite <laughs> of dodgy. So okay. the, the, the whole key here is when you can bake in the regulatory frameworks into the tokens and make sure that they only go where they're allowed, you actually create the perfect tool for regulatory oversights and also for good commerce. Because you actually, at all times, you know who owns the tokens. We can produce an instant, instantaneous cap table. And you can look across the history of the tokens and see where, they, where they've been. This makes it easy for us to, to report to government overseers, et cetera, regarding the activity of the tokens. And this is important, of course, because every government requires some sort of oversight of their securities tokens. And so since, since we're here today in the FinTech Global Lobby event, and both of you are here representing um, different companies, which associated with the Abu Dhabi global markets. Um, I just wanted to find out a bit more about why you guys came to Abu Dhabi, what you guys think about the ATGM, why, why is this place good for cryptocurrency companies and blockchain solutions. So do you want to take it away, Austin? Uh, sure. So recently we've been seeing 
many jurisdictions trying to uh, kind of attract the industry, the cryptocurrency, ICO, uh, Bitcoin industry to their jurisdictions. Uh, Malta, Gibraltar, uh, I don't know, Singapore, a, a lot of them. And it seems like including uh, Abu Dhabi. And, and he, what's really exciting here is that the regulator, uh, they really seem open to dialogue. They approach it with a humility that is refreshing uh, compared to other regulators, which uh, really seem like uh, there's almost like an undertone of arrogance that uh, they're, uh, you know, they're going to they're going to straighten the industry out and and, you know, uh, we're going to we're going to fix all the problems. It's uh, what I find here is that the, the, the focus on making sure that they uh, create regulatory frameworks that do not stifle innovation and, in fact, hopefully uh, create a fertile substrate to, to allow the, the, the flowers of innovation to bloom is uh, uh, something that, you know, so far, so far it's like most, mostly talk and we will see what, what comes here and in other jurisdictions around the world because for, for the most part, so far, it's uh, a lot has remains to be seen. Um, but it's, it, 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 is, it is refreshing compared to uh, perhaps jurisdictions in, in, that we've seen in the past. Awesome. When, when discussing crypto, okay, and they, they seem to be very uh, receptive and actually understanding what you know what the hell's going on when you when you talk about Bitcoin when you talk about processes within um, you know your company they actually you know they they're thinking two steps ahead already. Well, the, the, to they're anything. they seem very very eager to learn. Um, they're they seem very receptive to to uh, uh, kind of making this and a real-time evolving regulatory uh, framework and they're not necessarily wedded to the idea that um, cryptocurrency needs to be regulated like XYZ other asset or like uh, 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 in the model of regulations we've seen in the 20th century um, they really want to push the bleeding edge and Take us into the twenty. I think that was mentioned by somebody somewhere today. Uh, take us into a, a, a twenty-first century regulatory paradigm. Yeah. So, and and how about you, Dan? So you you've got a a product that actually will aid the regulators in, in their job. Um, so why did you choose the AGM specifically? So we chose this region a few years back. Our our product is really as an investment banking decentralized investment banking service. We specialize in making illiquid assets liquid. And it just so happens that the region is characterized by many illiquid assets, so massive real estate investment trust, et cetera, that we saw as, as great opportunities to tokenize and make the value liquid. So that's why we came into the marketplace. And knowing that since we are a regulatory technology, we knew we'd have to work with the regulators. And we were pleasantly surprised to find that the regulatory authorities here were very progressive. Austin is exactly right. Um, it isn't, and, and this is a key point uh, for the rest of the world, it's not like they're easy. We found that they are, they're certainly progressive in, in their thinking. So the difference is this, they will work with you directly. So as we, we have a complex technology that it's hard to, to even understand the regulations, let alone build them into smart contracts. 
uh, into the tokens. It took direct interactions with the regulators, not as throw me your paper and I'll tell you if it's right or wrong, but rather sitting down and going over it in, in great detail. This allowed us to make tremendous progress for the betterment both of the crypto world as well as for the regulators. And with this then you create a framework that unlocks innovation. Austin was exactly right. You can have companies come in with new ideas and by streamlining regulation, not by eliminating it, but by making it easy to comply, you really unlock the idea creators. And in this region, you unlock the venture capital and allow capital to flow to opportunity. Absolutely. And I, I feel that it's, we're in a phase now where we're seeing um, this industry is actually growing up and, and maturing. Mm -hmm. And it's, it's happened quite quickly, to be honest, yeah. um, particularly when we saw sort of the, the really huge surge in Bitcoin. Um, whether whether that will happen or not, I'm not sure. This is not financial advice, but um, <laughs> as in nobody saw this coming, where we're at this stage right now in September, where okay, um, the big players are coming in um, at a sort of rapid pace. They, everyone thought it would take you know a couple of years till this will probably happen. And so, I mean, it, it's funny because now um, I was just speaking with um, uh, Richard earlier, who's uh, the CEO of the ADGM, and he was talking about sort of about institutional money coming into the space or institutional interest coming into the space after these regulators have actually sort of come in and tried to put their sort of, let's say, either the foothold, which we've seen in China, or, you know, trying to actually accommodate, you know, companies like you guys. And so has there been institutional interest from, from your offerings? Like, at least in Kraken, I'm sure that, you know, you guys have been operating for, for quite a while and um, you offer a wide variety of services. Are, are the institutional players, do, do they interact with you? Uh, there's definitely a lot more than there used to be. Um, so a lot of the major market makers now are probably what you would consider uh, institutional. Um, in the past, uh, this was, you know, a few years back, this was, this was pretty much strictly a, a retail phenomenon. Or, uh, the market, I mean, the, the institutions in the past were just... Uh, guys with algos that, that bought Bitcoin early and, and were making the markets. And now we are seeing a lot of, uh, a lot of funds and prop shops that are kind of market making. The, the, the hype that we've been hearing uh, for years to come that, you know, Wall Street is, is on the sidelines with uh, dump trucks full of cash ready to, 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 to go after, you know, X milestone, Y milestone or whatever, an ETF or I mean, there's definitely money on the sidelines looking at it, uh, but I think that's going to happen a, a, a lot slower than maybe others think. And, and I mean, it's already happening, but it, it's 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 still some ways away before kind of they're 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 really involved in in, in, in the way that I think everybody hopes. I think you're probably right, Austin. I, I I think we're a year or perhaps a little more than that out from institutional participation. But I think once it comes, it'll come and, you know, the dam will break and they'll come in. But, but you're right. And this is, the, there's a couple key issues that have to be resolved uh, with assurance before the institutional money comes in. Custody's one. You guys have a great custody capability. Um, as I heard you say, you're, you're really a security company. Um, it, and so institutional money cannot come into a place where it's lost or stolen. So premier custody pieces are necessary. Any pension fund manager uh, is not going to take any risks there. The second is elimination of regulatory risk. 
So places where you do have securities, the laws have to be clearly enforceable, and you'd expect that the regulators will have weighed in with approval on the regulatory aspects of the, the securities piece. And finally, you need good value, stable value in the space. Institutions will play, as Austin said, in the in, in both sides, basically, in, in the ability to make money by making markets. But before they go long, you need a little bit of stability. You need hedging strategies, et cetera. And uh, so those tools come. We, we think we're going to introduce some of those capabilities. Uh, and certainly, with the deluge of really high-quality investment opportunities that we expect to release in real estate, et cetera, you'll see a, a bigger institutional play. The infrastructure that's being built out right now is uh, uh, really improving. It's really uh, at an another level to what we've seen years back. So um, whatever catalyzes the next bull run, I mean, it's really it's really the, the price and the profits which are going to get the, the, those that are, you know, the Johnny-come-lately institutions to finally jump in the pool and, and go for a swim, right? But uh, uh, Let me ask you this, because this is for you, Austin. Um, so we, we've subjected ourselves to PCI DSS certification, which is something that's used by the credit card industry where um, you have third-party auditors come in and, and verify your system. It seems to me that an industry stand, so the credit card industry built up a standard where there was a security audit that came in, and great practices, actually. It's quite robust as a practice. Self-regulated. Self so it seems to me that it would do be of great value to attracting institutional money to develop a similar spec for exchanges um, and for services like ours um, in the crypto space. What do you think of that? Well, there's been many plays at that. And the first play at this, I recall, was in 2014. There was an attempt in the States uh, uh, to form a self a SRO called the Data Digital Asset Transfer Authority, and uh, uh, that uh, had had it gotten maybe in the first gear, but it never got in the second gear, and uh, kind of fizzled out and died. Now there's been a few uh, more attempts at that, and very recently I think it was a uh, uh, Bittrex, Bitstamp, Gemini, and maybe one more, uh, you know, formed. Uh, I guess. A, a new SRO, and I think it really remains to be seen, the legs on that. Of course, with SROs, when you're asking uh, kind of the comp competition to come together, yeah. It's, yeah. it's very difficult to, 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 to make these successful. I haven't really studied the case history of how previous SROs have kind of uh, got over the hump. And, and Could you explain what SRO is? Well, it's a self-regulatory organization, so the okay. idea would be that uh, – industry, members of the industry would come together and say, hey, uh, we really don't want, you know, whatever regulator come and, like, you know, uh, uh, put their boot on our neck, so why don't we just, uh, uh, you know, uh, uh, create some sort of base level uh, uh, best practices, some yeah. explicitly document some best practices that um, we can then, dem we can then uh, uh, show to regulators that you see, well, you don't really need to come and, you know, smash us too hard because... We're already doing things very well. Yeah, they, you can see they're, here. they're basically doing the job for the regulator. Yeah, right? yeah, to well, some yeah, extent. That makes sense to, yeah. in a lot of ways, right? Because who knows better the, I mean, is it the regulator or is it the industry participants that uh, know better uh, what the best practices could be? And maybe in some legacy uh, uh, financial sphere, it, it, where 
things have been pr- going pretty much the same for 50, 100 years. You know, but in, in, in this, that, then in, in that sphere, maybe the regulator and, and, and the industry participants are on the same page. But in, in this space, they're, they're definitely not. You know, I'll tell you, another path to achieve the same thing is through the insurance industry. So we're talking to insurers, and you can imagine custody insurance, where they'll come in and verify what your standards are, and we'll charge you according to your ability to prove your custody model, your premiums, and that sort of drives people to best practices. So I bet you that's another way sense, yeah. to uh, to get to the same end state. Yeah, there have been a couple of um, sort of these self-regulating organizations, um, and it, I, I feel like at least in this industry, because I've seen a couple, and once sort of the bull run happened last year, so they kind of you know, just withered away because everyone just sort of, they, they didn't really care. They just wanted to sort of, um, you know, take um, that There's opportunity. There's a lot of stuff that can go wrong with the SROs, right? Yeah. You could have one firm in the group try to kind of take over, trying to uh, say, oh, well, here's what we think. And, you know, if there's some sort of disagreements in there, it can be kind of hard to resolve considering at the end of the day, these guys are competitors. So you can imagine it's, it's you know, the, it's difficult. And have you been involved in any of the SROs in the past? or? Uh, well, um, with data, I, I was involved briefly. And the lifespan was only very brief. But uh, recently, I mean, I, Kraken has, I think, been in discussions and, and, and been looking into it. In the past, uh, uh, I was, before I was with Kraken, and uh, previously I had uh, founded a, another exchange. Um, and I, I left that exchange and, and went to Kraken in 2014. Um, so I was briefly involved with data. Uh, the first, I think, I think it was the first attempt globally at an SRO, um, but it was only briefly that I was involved because it was only briefly that it existed. Um, I believe, you know, Kraken, we've been, we've been looking into it, but uh, not myself, maybe. It's probably better to ask, like, the compliance officer exactly what our current uh, stand is on, on the current uh, attempts at SROs be. Okay. I want to go back to your point, Dan, about um, you said you think it'll take another year till like institutional money will actually flow into the space, but we haven't really seen the ETF yet sort of come into play. And it's currently seen by the market as one of the best ways for institutional money to come in. And so do you think a year is a bit too short? I mean, do you think you're a bit too optimistic in, in that aspect? Oh, no. So uh, there's, there's plenty of other ways for institutional money to come in outside of ETFs. Now, ETFs are a good model um, in the end, certainly. Uh, but it, it's actually an odd framework, frankly, an ETF where you're taking crypto assets and then trading them on non-crypto traditional exchanges. Um, that's not doing the crypto industry justice, frankly, where you can actually take legitimate security interests and again a whole range of instruments tokenize them and and trade them fairly on legit crypto exchanges as long as of course that you have the rule sets baked in regarding distribution control so we we think it's actually the bigger plays are going to be major well major real estate investment offerings major energy funds uh, that are out there significant venture capital funds Debt offerings, so look, uh, we think the biggest play is ultimately in debt and municipal uh, plays. So those are the kinds of things that we, uh, we're looking at now and actively trying to bring to market. After you get a few of those, 
into the market, you'll see the institutional money. And that's coming here in the next six months, those, those early offerings. Once you prove that the model is legit, uh, keep in mind, the costs of, of, of issuing these kinds of securitized tokens are so much lower than the traditional uh, investment bank models that people would be foolish, um, municipalities would be foolish to use the old models to go ahead and do their bond offerings. So, so you know, then what you get is the kinds of content that institutions will purchase in this space. It'll be tokenized, it'll be better. I think, it, again, it's going to take a little while for everyone to get familiar um, with the way it works and for regulators to, in fact, be comfortable with what's going on. And then you'll see the institutions, and it'll go quick. I'd like to, to, to make reference to a piece I read in Forbes recently from uh, uh, by Caitlin Long, who is a really excellent thinker in this space and uh, has done a lot of great work in uh, Wyoming. Uh, she was really spearheaded that push to, to uh, create, uh, create the, the legislation in Wyoming that passed recently. But um, she was writing there about the almost the uh, the downsides of the ETF uh, and other uh, Bitcoin uh, derivatives um, where it opens the doors to rehypothecation, essentially, right? So the core value add of uh, Bitcoin is that there are 21 million Bitcoin, right? This is the most scarce asset on Earth. In fact, the most scarce asset in human history. It's scarce past the, the uh, bounds of the physical world. And uh, uh, as we've seen with in the past with the uh, kind of securitization of other assets, um, just because I have a piece of paper that says I own a kilo of gold uh, doesn't really mean that that gold exists in a vault somewhere, right? Or one piece of gold, one kilo of gold can be hypothecated uh, two, three, four, five, six times. And there can be six uh, pieces of paper circulating out there for one kilo of gold. And so hypothecation of Bitcoin in any form uh, it potentially is a, is, a, is a threat to the, to the core value of, of Bitcoin, which is, is, is its scarcity. I like that, you know, point to, to yeah. <laughs> read, read Caitlin Long. She, she's, uh, no, thanks for bringing that up. I, so I agree, with, I agree with that, and, and it was why a much more articulate way of objecting to ETFs of things that are perfectly legitimate and easily tradable instruments themselves. But I disagree with the, the notion of taking physical assets, that, that, that hypothecating is, is a bad thing, with physical assets, and yeah, right. well, we're in agreement. I, I yep. don't just, I don't uh, agree with that. I mean, I, I hope that there are Bitcoin ETFs. I hope there are many of them in many jurisdictions, trading on many markets. Um, I'm just saying there is a potential, you know, playing devil's advocate. There is a potential threat there, where uh, you know, you have to make sure that if you're buying a, 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 a an instrument that is supposed to represent ownership in a Bitcoin, that there is a Bitcoin there somewhere. Yeah. This is why, um, so we actually talked about this um, in a couple of episodes ago, that ETFs, that they shouldn't be um, sort of the main driving force behind adoption. It could be one of the factors, but because the um, a lot of the, the folks from the industry, they're focusing so much of the effort into that space um, because they think it will bring about adoption. Um, and you, you're right, I mean, the tokenization of assets, um, whether that could be of gold or just, you know, having a piece of paper saying, you know, you 
on one Bitcoin ETF or part of that ETF or however it's structured, it still has that sort of centralized um, approach that you will have to trust an entity to redeem that um, Bitcoin for you. And so to talk about security tokens now um, and seeing how in, in the future, whether these companies, whether they issue their shares or, or debt, um, these will actually be on the blockchain and they will actually be forever represented there. And so before we wrap up, uh, how is Kraken look into the, the security token offering space? Do you have a roadmap? Um, it's, it's, it's interesting, uh, most definitely. And uh, uh, it does require uh, additional regulatory, I'd say, permissions. Um, you know, I, maybe I don't want to reveal our, our full roadmap here and now, uh, you know. Well, what can you reveal? <laughs> I, I could basically say that I think that there's potential there. There's potential market there. Um, however, you know, Bitcoin, Ether, and uh, the like are the bread and butter right now. And yeah. so, uh, you know, I think for some time to come, we might have a focus on peripheral value-add products and such. But uh, my personal assessment is that uh, Bitcoin and other, but especially Bitcoin, will continue to be the, the bread and butter of uh, Kraken and probably most of our competitors as well. Okay. And Dan, I, I see from, at least from currency that the STOs will be your bread and butter moving forward. Yeah, that's right. So we, we certainly deal in, in fiat currency and, uh, and cryptocurrencies as well, uh, and even in utility tokens. But the real focus here... Um, is in unlocking the latent value that's in securities, most of it illiquid. You know, the, the securities that actually exchange on things like the New York Stock Exchange are a small fraction of the total value that can and should be traded, which is in the quadrillions uh, of dollars worth of value. Uh, this needs to become liquid. It needs to become transparent. It needs to be accessible. It needs their, you know, the far reaches of the world should have access to uh, these kinds of financial tools for civilization's sake. So we're, we're keen on uh, solving that problem and uh, we think there's a big market ahead. Awesome. Thank you very much, gentlemen, for, for joining in the show. And also, um, I just want to say thank you for, to, to our audience <laughs> who stayed back <laughs> um, to, um, to, to actually listen. So I think this is our first sort of live podcast recording, although we weren't planning it, but so it sort of happened. Anyways, thanks a lot. Thank you. Thank you for listening to this episode of Encrypted. We hope you've enjoyed it. We are on a mission of making blockchain an inspiring reality. So we thank you for supporting us on this journey. Follow us on Twitter and Instagram. And don't forget to subscribe and review us on Apple Podcasts. Your reviews help the show a lot. Thanks for joining us.